You're listening to our radio candidate home and abroad. And uh, last week we were talking some books and this week we're going to talk a little bit about books as well. We also have some music on the, the program this week, but we're going to have a chat with Rue Matheson, who she's based in um, on the east end of Long Island and also in New York City and a bard. At Bard College, she majored in literature and afterwards was a journalist for the East Hampton Star. And she's an alumna of the Squaw Valley Writers Conference, Breadloaf, and Curtis Brown Creative. Her completed works include a novel, Woman with Closed Eyes, a novella, The Toast, and a collection of essays on family life, loss, creativity, and fulfillment. Blast Assist, her book, Buttonwood Cottage, uh, about renovating a house in the Caribbean, is available on Amazon, and her essay, There Was a Time, was featured in the summer issue of EAP, the magazine. And two of her essays, Real Life and LSD and Zen, were nominated for Pushcart Prize. But we're not going to talk to Rue about that today at all. We're going to, we're going to talk to her about something else. We're going to talk to her about a publication that's out there called Castles and Ruins. And Castles and Ruins is Unraveling Family Mysteries and Literary Legacy in the Irish Countryside. So when I put that to you, and based on the introduction I gave prior to that, so what's the connection here? Uh, Rue Matheson, thank you very much indeed for coming along and uh, looking forward to talking with you about Castles and Ruins. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. First question I have, I saw something that jumped out at me on a, somewhere about page 150, 151, mm-hmm. where you asked yourself the question, why am I writing this book? Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, you know, it was sort of a book that had to be written. I, uh, um, I, I, it was sort of a surprise going on this this trip with my family and going back to uh, uh, the castle called Anakin, which was in Galway. Um, I had lived there with my parents and my stepbrother many, many years ago. And um, it was a completely different time. And um, our family was just on the cusp of my father's literary fame which changed everything when we came back to the States. Also, when we came back to the States, we were launching into the 60s. The, you know, we, we took this trip in 1965. And then when we came back, we were like bang into the 60s and all, everything that was going on, which was very revolutionary and made a huge impression on me and was also a kind of scary time. Um, then uh, my mother sadly died when I was 13, and um, she had written a book about this summer in Galway called Anna Keen, After the Castle, and that book was published by Random House, and it was a, a lovely book, didn't sell a lot, but people really, really liked it, and it was, of course, such a wonderful thing to have in our family, um, because it, it was something that she left that was very much her, and it was mainly about that summer in Galway. So I had read this book on and off all my life. And then once I had my own family, when my son was six years old, around the same age that I was when I lived there, 
I thought, let me go back to Ireland and see whether that castle is still there and and just go to some of the places in the book. And it was sort of a lark. It wasn't, you know, terribly serious. I hadn't been to Ireland in all that time. And um, lo and behold, we, we got there, and it was just a flood of memories. Um, I think that as a child, we, we were so impressionable as a child. So it was kind of great that I didn't go back in between, because when I did go back, it, it was <clears throat> really like opening a Pandora's box. So it, it was uh, everything about my parents' marriage, which was somewhat difficult, um, the sort of atmosphere in the family, what it was like to live with them. They were brilliant. They were highly ambitious. Um, were they the greatest parents? Probably not, but they were also quite wonderful. And so how the book came about was basically I, I came back to the States and I had to write this book. I just had to write it. It was begging to be written. So um, I took my journals from that trip and I took my father's books and my mother's book and her journals. And um, I stitched together a sort of pastiche that uh, um, was, was difficult um, to, to kind of bring everything together in one book, but I think I managed to do it. When I saw the short, brief description of the book initially, uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, it indicated it was there was a tra it was described to some degree by the publisher as a travel book, uh -huh. and uh, that was uh, one of the things that grabbed me. But uh -huh. as I read the book, I wouldn't have described it as a travel book because what I found is that, and all the segments of your journey um, it was stirring up reminiscences, reminiscences of predominantly your mother um, yes. and and like for example, I'm very familiar with practically everywhere where you were um, oh. so you know when you were in Dingle and um, the day you got lost on the Boreen um, and ended up in what would have been a probably a halting site i found that given that you had this you took this journey when it was in 20 it was 2006 um and then i i wrote the book but it, it was because it is a, a pastiche and it isn't easy to describe what it is yeah i did have a hell of a time getting finding a publisher i mean it was and then i wrote other books okay <laughs> no so so more. this was this was written really written in 2006. So that puts better context on some of of what I was reading, and um, yeah. that the I found that fascinating. First of all, that you you go over on a boreen and you find yourself uh, on the shores and down the Dingle Peninsula uh, into what is effectively a a halting site, and the kids are there kicking ball and your son joins in. Um, oh. A, a, a very unusual experience. It was wonderful. I mean, it was just an incredible trip. Um, and I had my, I was able to take short paragraphs from my mother's book, which was 
about Ireland and about us as a family and sort of philosophical and somewhat poetic. And I was able to open every chapter with a snippet from her. And then it, it almost always that would relate to where we were, what we were doing, what we were feeling in our journey in Ireland. And, um, I loved being back there. It was, it was, uh, and it was so fascinating to me to just, uh, look at the history. I had my, my, my husband is Stephen Shaughnessy and his father had a wonderful historical library, real books. So not, not things looked up on Wikipedia or, you know, it was all kind of, uh, in one place for me and huge suitcase of books and so I I was able to read up and I just became just fascinated and pulled into the whole story of Ireland and um, and then that sort of worked very well with um, now my parents originally when I was a child and was there, they were on a kind of a spiritual journey to, you know, what they, how they wanted to orient themselves spiritually. They had left the Episcopalian church, both of them radically in different ways. Um, and um, I think they were drawn to that uh, religious history and context and, and the, the ruins of Ireland, the castles of Ireland, all of that um, was the perfect place for them to be. And then when I, when I returned to that story, I just found that the, it, it interfaced beautifully the Irish history and our family's history. And all of that was a discovery as I was writing the book and a very pleasant discovery. That is not to say this was an easy book to write because um, you know, if you're going to write something, if you're writing a memoir and there has been a degree of loss in your family, uh, you have to kind of face that and draw a narrative out of it. And it is, it can be very, very difficult. But I think that when I look at it now, I'm proud of it. And I think that it was worth it. I also found it fascinating when you were down in Dingle because it was the early part of your journey that at that stage, your husband was really struggling with just finding a cup of coffee. <laughs> and, and what I found fascinating with that is that I think Ireland is now the second most consumes per capita or something, the highest coffee drinkers in the world. And there's no scarcity. Um, but that he was struggling to survive and just find a decent cup of coffee. Yeah, I mean, it was really something. And, and I had read, of course, Angela's Ashes. And, and you know, I was always, what was the tea? They were always drinking the breaking out the Woodbine cigarettes and the, I forgot the brand of tea. And then really at these B&Bs where we stayed, which were not fancy at all, but, but wonderful. Um, but they didn't really do like a pot of tea. They did tea bags. And I was, I had a little bit of withdrawal from my tea habit when I was there too. And I found that very surprising. Um, 
but I think, yeah, that's probably all changed. I mean, the world, they've all be- become coffee addicts as far as I can tell. <laughs> um, then you um, talk about your parents, well, your mom uh, particularly, but um, that was when they, uh, Zen, LSD, um, I guess uh, I remember around that time, um, well, the early 70s, uh, that uh, hearing about altered states of consciousness and wondering what the hell was that all about. And this, and I was, it was in the early 70s, I was hearing this and Gestalt um, uh, when I was in Dublin at that stage. But uh, your mum and uh, was particularly into Zen or bo- and um, experimented with LSD. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, for for both my parents, it, it was a very uh, the LSD was a very serious kind of endeavor. You know, it they were not they were both born in 1927, so in the 60s they were sort of on an intellectual vanguard. It wasn't it wasn't they did go to Woodstock, but. <laughs> It wasn't like Woodstock. They were elegant people, and um, they were very interested in these ideas. And it was all very much in a, a, a sort of revolutionary period of the way to think about things. And um, hallucinogens were a part of that, and so they were interested in that. And um, they they did experiment, but always very safely. Um, and and my father once said that you can only go to a certain point in terms of if you're interested in getting, you know, um, attaining spiritual depth or knowledge or solving your problems or whatever it is, you can use hallucinogens as a tool and it can be a very useful tool. But he felt that there was a limit to it. And I think my mother felt that way also. So kind of at the other end of the period where they were experimenting with LSD was Zen. And um, that they, they just sort of, one led to the other. Alan Watts was uh, touring in the States and really bringing these ideas, Eastern, Eastern religions, particularly Zen Buddhism to the United States. Um, and, and this was a time, and I think it's hard for people who don't remember that time, that these were crazy ideas. They were just considered to be very radical. And in their circles, it, it was kind of more normal and, um, you know, this is what people are doing. They knew a lot of writers, um, artists and so on. Um, but, you know, for me, it was like I was just in the, little school in the town, which was a farmer, farming and not fishing so much, but a farming town. And I was in school with the children of farmers. And then it was like the divide between my school, which was actually called the Little Red Schoolhouse. And, and, you know, then going to Italy with my parents who were taking LSD regularly. And it, it was just such a huge divide. And I felt in a way, what I experienced was was uh, not unlike, I think, the, the, the rift in the country that was also happening. Um, 
And now I have to say, I, I see the benefit of all that, but I also see the benefit of, of, of repose, of just living your life as your life is. And you don't have to know everything and you don't have to do everything. You know, that I'm, I'm, you know, I've kind of come to a place where that is uh, more aligned with my own nature and, and writing that book and getting all of that kind of out of my system was, was, it helped me do that essentially. Your parents had um, a very interesting relationship Um, and you describe some of the, tensions that would have existed between them that must have been difficult enough not f- first of all to experience it and live it but then to recount it and to put to journal it in in written format and to uh, t- chronicle it mm-hmm. yes um well it was very difficult this book was it was a difficult book to write um but it was also really cathartic because um I felt growing up like I was, you don't have anything as a child, you don't have anything to compare your life to so much. But I did, I was overwhelmed. I look back and I say, you know, I was definitely overwhelmed by all of that. Um, but to write it down and to have somebody else read it and understand at least something of it is so amazing. Um, I am so grateful that I have the tools and I developed after a somewhat wild youth, I developed the discipline to do it because there's something about putting something down on a page accurately, articulately, emotionally, that is, it's like, there it is. And you know, it's just funny because that's what they did. That's what my mother did when she wrote her book was was uh you know it was a it was a cathartic book my father's book the snow leopard which is his most it was it's i'd say his most famous book and his most popular book and just keeps selling 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 um that was what he did in in, in his one non his one non-fiction sort of memoir memoir type book um was set something down on paper and used the material of really my mother's death to as the as the sort of um starting place of that book and my mother did it and then I ended up doing it and that was really satisfying and I think both of them would have really liked this book which is thrilling my father died in um 2014 um and he he had a great respect for good writing. You know, we talked about it all the time. And um, I think he may not have loved everything that I said, but I think he would have absolutely defended my right to say it. So on that route, I presume then you had shown him the manuscript before it was published. No, um I did not because it was still uh, in sort of formulating. It went through a number of different drafts. I left it. I returned to it. He did like the title very much. 
because okay. I chose the title. Um, and I published another book that he saw. He was extremely critical, and I didn't really feel like I was there. Um, I did publish an earlier book, which was a nonfiction work that I self-published, and I gave that to him not long before he died. And he read it, and he um, went over to his house, and he had the book, and he put his finger on it, and he said, nice little book. And that was just the most amazing moment for me, <laughs> just because he really, uh, on the subject of writing, he, he uh, was just really going to give you the straight stuff. Even if, you know, if he didn't like something, he was just going to say it. And, um, but I, no, I, I didn't give it to him. He also was sick for, for a number of years before he died. And, and I thought, um, and it wasn't where it is now either. I mean, it wasn't truly formulated past different drafts and this and that. So I, I think, yeah. On, on a similar tone then, within any family, and while you uh, there was just two of you, uh, yeah. I, I know in my own case there's six of us. If I was to chronicle my perception of um, my growing up and my relationship or my perspective of my parents, I'd say there would be five disagreeing perspectives. <laughs> um, oh, you go ahead. How did your, how did your brother... Um, perceive your perception? My brother um, was admiring of the book. My brother Luke, um, who was there on the trip, and then I have a younger brother, Alex, and they were both supportive, both admiring. But, you know, this is the, the, uh, this is the family currency. So if you take something, no matter how many pointed or painful or... And then you translate it to something that is worth it on the page. You're ahead of the game, you know. I, uh, I, 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 which is why I say, I think that, and I was talking to my stepmother about it, and, and she agreed with me and also thought that my father would have really admired it. Um, he, and I think that would have overridden Basically, my honest about him, and you know, he knew how he was. Um, but for the, but the main kind of thing for him would have been what we all have done in my family, which is you take the material of your life and you you make it into something that can open a door in someone else's mind. That's that's just a beautiful thing. Um, so. Yeah, it doesn't really get so much into that thing. Like, this is my territory, and that's the way it was. And you've said something different. Um, not not so much, and it's hard. It's hard to explain, but yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> when you made it up to Dublin, you were staying at uh, near Christchurch. Um, yeah. The, the, the permanent, the constant ringing of the bells was a bit of a challenge. But you then, I noticed you found uh, Saint Odin's Church just down the road from it. Um, an area of Dublin, again, I'm very familiar with. I used to walk past Christchurch every day for seven years. Um, uh, yeah. It's a beautiful part of Dublin. Um, the uh, the route that you planned, because you, uh, you 
did a circuit effectively before you went, eventually went down to Galway and down to Anakin. Um Was there a reason why you chose the circuit that you did? Well, I wanted to stay roughly in the territory, roughly in the territory of where my, where, where we had traveled when I was young that my mother recorded in her book. So, um, we did not make, uh, a, a specific plan like, oh, you know, here's this chapter where, where we go to Buckross in 1965 so we've got to go back you know it wasn't like that at all it was more like general this and see what happens and there were especially Buck Ross was kind of a surprise because uh there we were and um this woman said you know we were stuck in traffic in Tralee and she said well you know Buck Ross is a pretty place and so we went on down the road and um, just took a left and stone pillars and went in and had the tour and saw Torque Mountain and um, saw the house and the abbey, um, which was absolutely wonderful. And then later on, I'm looking through Anakin and lo and behold, there's a whole thing on Muckross. It's like well, a couple of pages on Muckross. And so there were things that happened that were just kind of magical. Um, in terms of, of where we were. And I think, because I didn't have a book in mind when I went, I, the only thing I had in mind was I, I would like, I wanted to see the castle again, and I wasn't even sure if it was there. And I wanted to see that little island, which was called Bullseye Island. That's not in the book. Um, but it was, you know, just a about a five-minute row across the waterway, um, and then there was this little house. And um, I wanted to just see that place again, just to see it. And then um, I didn't have any particular thing in mind. And then this whole thing just kind of unfolded, which was wonderful. I'm thinking in terms of, in like, in 2020, we were going to bring our grandkids to Ireland, and my grandson at that stage would have been six. It ended up being postponed until last year, and he was right. nine. Nine, And it was just as well, we felt, because he would have been too young at six uh, to appreciate. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, at that stage, um, you know, the your experience was from a time when you would have been very young. Um <laughs> How much of what you recalled um, triggered, well, a lot triggered, otherwise you wouldn't have written the book, but how much when you um, arrived at some point that you had in your head uh, a memory that turned out to be, that things had changed so much that nearly you'd say, well, this isn't quite the way I remember it. because well, again, as a child, how your your impression is, and as an adult, it's so different. Well, you know the the uh, I remember in the airport, the woman who gave us my son the hot chocolate and gave us the coffee that wasn't very good, but okay. Um, she was so lovely, and she had that particular thing. It's just like particular to to Ireland. I'm not sure how to say the Gaelic word, uh, come, the, the welcome, the welcome. I mean, that was, I remember that. And I remember the accent 
And um, that was just a, a lovely way to return. And the first thing that I saw that was different was these palm trees. And I don't know why I didn't remember the palm trees. But there were palm trees on the road as we were traveling um, to Anaskal, which was our first B&B. Um, but the smells, the sights, the green of the grass and where we were in Anaskal, we could see the, the water. Um, the Also the matter-of-factness of the Irish people, like we asked for directions. And it was just like I wrote in the book, it was just like picking up a conversation that we had been having last week. I mean, it was, um, oh, Kathleen, you know, blah, 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 you just go up this way. And we just immediately felt comfortable. And then I'd say immediately things resonated for me. Uh, I can't really say that there was anything jarringly different because I think children maybe experience things. Mm-hmm. And- way where you know you're just kind of um, you're not quantum you're just absorbing everything when you're seven years old and um, uh, that was the only thing the palm trees and mm-hmm. uh, you know the, uh, otherwise the stones I, I was just bewitched by those stones and there was a um, a ruin uh, Ross Eerly which was not that far from the castle and the house. And my mother would take me there, took me there a number of times. And to go back there, nothing was any different. I mean, the way she described it, and um, it just didn't seem, it seemed like this beautiful, beautiful place. And there wasn't trash and things that you sometimes see. Like I remember going back to Paris and being, um, the fountain in the center of the Louvre, where the pyramid is, and it was this fountain was full of trash. And I was like, "What? What? What are the French doing here?" Um, but I, I think that maybe the places that we were too were low population. They weren't like really um, high gear places either. So maybe they just seemed the same for that reason also. So you made it down to Kong. Um to work your way out to uh, Anakin. And um, you must have had goosebumps at a variety of times. Absolutely, I did. Um, Especially because we didn't know how to get there. We we had the coordinates from my mother's book, but really we didn't have much more than that. Um, William Wilde's book, Carib, has Anakin in it, the castle, but I hadn't seen that yet. My grand, uh, my father-in-law did not have that book, and so we really had almost nothing. And there we were in Kong, and we went into the gift shop, and uh, the woman got out a map, and it was this very pretty map. Of course, I still have it with uh, the watercolors, and then it was like a watercolor and ink drawing of the area and she just pointed to it and she said yes Anakin here it is right here and I was just amazed and then she sang me a little song about the girl from Anakin and I was like <laughs> it was just great it was a great discovery it was it was kind of an example too of 
of, of, the, of the mystery and the fun of not having every bit of information about every single thing at your fingertips in a computer. So that made it, um, you know, I'm glad I did it when, when we did it because, uh, it was a hunt. There's no doubt. And then, um, we, uh, <clears throat> when she, she's, uh, talked about Paul Duffy, Duffy, Duffy's hardware store. I think it's closed now, but that was in, uh, not Galway, but Hedford. Mm-hmm. That was in. And, um, she said he can give you more information too. And um, so I went there, and it was uh, her son. It, it was Paul Duffy, the son of the guy that my mother had written about in her book. And so we all, we, it was all like looped in together. It was great. Um, and we got there. So, um, as you said it early on, like you were what, 13 when your mom passed? Yes. Um, so, given the. Um, strong personality your mother had and how big a person she was and I mean that in a kind of spiritual way rather than uh, physical but how big a personality she had Uh, there must have been a huge emptiness after she passed and I noticed that you mentioned that despite the divergent perspectives on life between your mom and your dad um, that it comes across how uh, caring your dad was and how at a very deep level he had a a love of your mum and that that was very evident as her final days were approaching. Well, yes, he he, he very much was and they had an amazing connection. It was one of those marriages that was very difficult uh, but it was also transformative. They really changed the trajectory of each other's lives. Um, and I think that he, he realized that, um, and through it all, through the, you know, separations, the threatening divorce, and the what are we doing, and the coming together again, which was just epic and dramatic. And I, I wrote about that in the book because I was, right in the center of all of it and it was difficult it's difficult for a child to deal with that but um i was very admiring that he took such good care of her and that in the end absolutely true blue loving caring um was there every day i mean you know it was it was Wonderful. I did say also in the book how much I wished, because from this, a lot of this book is from a child's perspective and a teenager's perspective. You don't understand when you're 13, 14 years old, because he told me, he said, we just, all of the extra stuff, all the problems, everything fell away. We were so close. And, and I, he was just basically saying how much he really appreciated her and she appreciated him. And of course, my teenage thought was, and why could she have been that way when she wasn't sick? So we kind of were older and we understand a little bit more about those kinds of emotional 
dynamics. But when you're 13, 14, you don't understand it at all. And he and I had a lot of, lot of difficulty um, in my younger years. And then we kind of came to terms and became quite close. So um, but he, he, was, he, he was difficult also. <laughs> I was difficult, but he was also difficult. Because <laughs> with the territory. Yeah. Well, we, we should wrap up and we um, remind the listener that we're talking about castles and ruins, which is inspired by a summer uh, with uh, when Rue spent in Galway uh, at, down in, near Anarchy with her keen with her husband and her son. And uh, Rue had lived in Galway when she was um, around six years age with her mom and her dad and went on, one could nearly say a pilgrimage. Um, I, I guess, but I didn't know it was a pilgrimage when I left. It was just, yeah. you know, Aer Lingus yeah. ticket and a, a couple of B&B, Airb- not Airbnb, but B&B bookings. And that was it, sort of an idea. And then it did become a pilgrimage. It's funny how how uh, life surprises you sometimes, you know. <laughs> and, and, and it's a chronicle of that pilgrimage. And it is due to be published. It hits the shelves on the 20th of February. Um <laughs> And uh, I'm sure it's probably available online through the, the major online retailers. Uh, um, it, it is available through LATA, L-A-T-A-H books. It's available for pre-order there. And then um, it, it'll be available through them at bookstores. And then eventually, I, I don't know how they do it, eventually Amazon and so forth. But I don't think... You might be able to find it on Amazon for pre-order. I'm not, not not entirely sure, but so again, the book is entitled "Castles and Ruins," and it is by Rue Matheson. That's M-A-T-T-H-I-E-S-S-E-N. So if you search, you'll find it that way. Um, Rue, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, it's been a wonderful chat. It <laughs> it did it did actually um, because I was so familiar with so many of the places. Um, and uh, that territory, uh, originally I'm from County Galway and uh-huh. uh, worked in oh, Dublin okay. for a number of years and okay. uh, uh, was involved with the um, uh, Rose of Tralee for a number of years um, oh. and have stayed in Dingle and uh, I'm very familiar with an awful lot of parts of the of where mm-hmm. your chronicle and your pilgrimage took you. So uh, yeah. I, I say I really want to thank you for taking the time, and it's been a pleasure chatting. Well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, Austin, and it's great to talk to someone who knows all these places. I appreciate your questions. This was a real pleasure. Thank you.